0: Hey everyone, Uh, welcome to episode 2 of the Breakpoint podcast starring me, Frankie, and
1: Myself, Marcus
0: uh, And this is going to be episode 2 titled A Little Bit About Us So in this episode we're just going to talk about a little bit of our tennis history, our relationship with the game, heroes, aspirations, the whole thing Uh, we alluded to this a little bit in episode one about like Just getting to know us a little bit and Hopefully this gives some context as to why we started this podcast to begin with Uh, so yeah, marcus kick us off.
1: Yeah, no, um, and we kind of wanted to like have this as our first episode Just because we wanted to give kind of our viewers like a background of who we are Why we're kind of doing this podcast, but we had already such fresh information in our head about the demo experience um that we kind of just wanted to get into that like straight away so that's why we recorded that and posted that first but you know obviously now we want to give some background on uh on on why we're doing this and uh yeah you know just kind of give some insights so frank first question that we kind of wrote down for each other um how did you start playing what kind of who got you into the game what you got into you know what got you into the game and how did you proceed from there
0: Yeah, and I think this is going to be overlap between Marcus and myself, and a lot of tennis players as well. Uh, It was our dad. Uh, For me, it was was my dad, for sure. Uh, When I was probably starting around four to five years old, uh, we would go to my family's sort of place in in naples florida and and the community there has some some really nice hard true clay courts and my dad would take me out and sort of just hit some balls with me and just taught me the basics of like this is a forehand this is a backhand uh with like an old wilson like t2000 titanium racket like Like a junior
1: version or like a regular oh no
0: this was like a regular version it was just five-year-old me swinging (laughs) like this ridiculous racket it was it was awesome and there's some wood rackets it's like swinging a
1: baseball club man
0: uh correct that is correct but it was it was a ton of fun um and and i think it's important to do that stuff because that's really how you learn to just sort of like the game at first especially with those little kids so that 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 was that was my first experience and and from there when i was about like eight years old that's when i actually started taking lessons seriously because my dad just straight up asked me like you know hey do you want to like actually learn to play this game do you enjoy it is it something that you like and and
1: that's a very deep question at eight years old yeah no tough decision tough decision
0: but for me it was just like hell yeah i get to like whack a tennis ball more i'm in like go for it yeah for sure um what about you? How did you first start?
1: Similar situation. Uh, my father was uh, kind of big into the game. He played a lot in his junior days. He grew up in uh, in Douglasson, so he was around the, you know, he kind of hung out with John and, and Patrick McEnroe a lot, so that kind of had a lot of influence on him. Um, and also, back then, everyone played. I mean, it's the same thing as your dad. That was like, tennis was like the most popular sport in the 70s.
0: Yeah, tennis was by far the most popular sport. My dad also, similar sort of deal, grew up in Northwestern, Queens, and Astoria, um, but he took lessons out in Port Washington, actually with the McEnroe brothers. Yep. Yeah. Um,
1: my dad went to, um, went to Glen Cove after he, <laughs> he got kicked out of Port Washington that he had to go to Glen Cove. Uh, John did. If you, if you ever read his book, actually, I got it on the shelf right there. You cannot be serious. Um, I got both brothers books up there, by the way. So Douglas and tennis run, running strong here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my dad, similar deal. Um, he was he was at port washington he'd stayed at port washington though and he didn't get the boot no he did not get the boot for once he didn't get the boot he got the boot at forest hills multiple times though for refusing to wear all white oh that's another
1: podcast right there yeah
0: i I mean that is just i i which listen he's not alone in that there's plenty of people that have been booted out because of that ridiculous like archaic rule but uh they're easing up with it now
1: but that's a hot take yeah
0: whatever (laughs) (laughs) separate podcast topic again for sure um But yeah, my my dad was also was was a really good player, much better than I am, much better than I will be or ever was. Um, uh, you know he he was he was like like a collegiate, like an upper tier collegiate level player. He got scholarship offers from like the U U Miami Hurricanes, um, and he was going to go there. And then my grandparents said, "There's a zero percent chance that we are allowing you to go to Miami for college." to play tennis um because you are way too much of a party animal
1: and yeah he
0: was denied that so he played at st john's actually um
1: still a good still a good uh this is a good place to play tennis
0: yeah no that means d1 so better than i ever did so yeah he, he played there and and sort of that was how i just got introduced um to the game was through him and then like around eight years old like i said started taking lessons and then at you know like call it 11 years old is when i started to actually play tournaments um which was different and that was like an entirely different way of looking at the game because before it was kind of just i'm playing this for fun like i enjoy the social aspects of it and you know whatever which i'm sure you can relate to too but i knew you started playing tournaments a little bit earlier than i did right
1: yeah i started playing i would say about when i was seven so my dad kind of got me into it i was like three or four you know would just take me down to the courts with him because it's actually funny my dad grew up playing in the juniors and then when he went off to college he didn't play um he didn't he played for holy cross high school um pretty sure he he might have played one singles for them too but that was kind of like it for him and then he actually didn't play believe it or not frank he didn't play until he was like 35 again yeah he didn't that that was
0: my dad too after college after his freshman year of college my dad did not play until he was like 45 years old when when like i was like Eight year when I was eight years old, when I when he first started teaching me how to play the game, that was how he started playing again.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of things happened in my dad's life that kind of just you know, he just kind of lost his way. He didn't really, and then it's just he didn't really have time to play, you know what I mean? You know, went to school, went to do further education in, in Russia, you know, met my mom and the whole shebang, had some kids. And so, when he was like 30, I'm gonna say early 30s, kind of like mid 30s, started picking up the game again, absolutely fell in love with it, took me out to some courts, and then, um. You know, I kept playing and stuff, and then I was like, about I think I played my first tournament. It was a L three, which is like the lowest tier. Um, by the way, it was in uh, in Bethpage, under ten tournament, and it was you know, it was like it was it was really quite an experience that I really liked because you know, it, it, playing against with other kids and the kind of like playing like a round robin, you kind of get excited, and you know, there's like trophies involved and stuff. So that's how I kind of like got involved with the game at that point, um, and then. You know, it just kind of escalated. Um, you know, I kept, I kept playing, you know, playing tournaments and stuff. I also played other sports, which really helped me, um, which we're going to talk about later a little bit about burnout. So, um, you know, for, for, well, Frank, like, what happened after you were kind of, you made the decision at eight? What kind of what kind of proceeded from there?
0: Yeah. So when I was eight, it was you know, add tennis to the repertoire because I just liked all sports. Every sport, if if I could play it, I wanted to play it. So. For me you know my two loves playing wise were tennis and baseball which obviously are two sports that are somewhat similar in their mechanics uh with the tennis serve and like a baseball throw that's literally the exact same motion that's how we teach the tennis serve is like throw the ball into the box and you know
1: absolutely that's that's how you should serve yeah
0: yeah that's the same same motion so so naturally like i was a pitcher in baseball it was like a natural transition and, and those were my two loves and Around, like, 11, 12 years old, um, I started to become pretty good at both, and that was sort of the next decision of, okay, um, baseball and tennis are the same season. Uh, They're using the same muscles. Uh, All these tournaments and everything are the same time. You kind of have to decide now which one you want to proceed with. Yeah. Um, So for me, that decision became tennis because that was just, A, what I enjoyed the most, and B... um, I can sort of tell that's what my dad wanted me to pick. He yeah, he never pressured me into picking one, but like uh, you know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, dude, there's definitely a bias. I mean, it was the same thing with me. When I was I was playing four sports actually, and funny enough for for the viewers listening here, Frankie and I have known each other since kindergarten. We went to the same kindergarten uh, class. Actually,
0: actually before that, it was it was nursery it was nursery, wasn't it? We were like four well, years old, right? Wait,
1: you went to no, you went to pre K not at OLBS though pre Oh, you did? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. So I went fine. to kindergarten. We So we were in kindergarten together and then we played soccer f- until we were like, say, around 12 together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah so about about
0: 12 years old, we, we played on the same like CYO teams yeah uh, I played
1: left we, back Frankie was right back and uh, correct yeah you know uh, we're, we were the bruisers in the back line correct yeah um we, we we could have gone to the you know the premier league but we decided to record podcast instead so.
0: yeah Manchester United's on hold although they could use me after they got absolutely drubbed today yeah but this is a that's a separate <laughs> pet peeve of mine that separate we'll not discussion yeah um, um
1: yeah so after you know when I was like I was playing baseball basketball soccer Um, They were all kind of different seasons, and tennis was obviously an all-year-round sport, so I was always exposed to it more. It was something that my dad was most familiar with. It was something that I had the most fun with, and honestly, it was the one that I was best at, I would say. Um, Baseball was probably a second, and then maybe, like, soccer and then uh, the basketball. Um, And then I would say that, really, there's no other way that... um, Yeah. And then, um, so when I was about 13, I was graduating middle school, going off into high school. And that was kind of the age where I had to pick, you know, my father had the conversation with me. I'm sure he had the same conversation. It's like, Frank, you know, this is a... we, we only got, you only got one body, really, you gotta, you know, we only have so much time now, school's getting harder and harder, you gotta really focus on your studies more, so, you know, you gotta pick a sport, um, and I picked tennis because, one, I was best at it, two, obviously my father really wanted me to play, um, and it kind of just led to more opportunities, I knew that, you know, it's gonna need some help financially, going to college in the future, and I realized, you know, tennis was kind of like my ticket there, otherwise I'd have to, or it would at least give me more options, instead of, you know, maybe going to the local you know school like queen's college or something like that and just happened to or cuny um for you know frankie and i live in new york city so cuny is the city university of new york just for everyone's uh, awareness the kind of like cheaper schools great schools you know great school system by the way but um it kind of it's like limited options so that's why i wanted to play tennis kind of broaden my horizons give myself the option to maybe go away from college which i ended up not doing funny enough but i did go to a private university so that definitely helped pay the bill there
0: yeah um for me, it was it was a little bit different. I was, and Marcus can to this. I'm a dweeb. Um, I'm a nerd. I enjoyed. T-
1: yeah, as as we can tell by this podcast.
0: <laughs> um. Yes. I I enjoyed school a lot. Um. You know. So, yeah. You did. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So. So for me, tennis was kind of just like this athletic outlet. I I never really foresaw myself playing college tennis, it was always like, and this was something that I struggled with in the juniors was tennis was just fun for me. I enjoyed it because my friends played tennis. Like I got to see Marcus every now and then, um, I have other friends that we'll probably have on this podcast, like, like Braddock and and Anthony that, you know, I just enjoyed playing with and spending time with, and and that was what I enjoyed the most. Um, you know, so for me, it was, it was sort of hard to foresee myself really, really going down that competitive route and and doing the college part of it. I just didn't view the game that way yet. Um, and that's like one of the things that's evolved over time, I think, for myself is that now later on, I, I sort of do have that competitive drive, which is kind of hilarious that it's developed. But, uh, you know, back then, definitely not. Um, but yeah, so so your story, I think, is a little bit more interesting in terms of your junior career Uh, You got to to play in college, etc. So so why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of how it was from the 14s um, to 18s sort of playing in that circuit and going to sectionals, nationals, stuff like that. Like, how was that balancing high school and that at the same time?
1: Yeah, that was um, a bit, I had a more of a kind of a non-traditional path compared to like my peers in the Eastern section here in in the USTA. Um, I had the the lovely and and wonderful opportunity to go to Germany every summer. So I would miss all the summer tournaments My ranking would always drop a little bit. I wouldn't go to these big nationals that everyone goes to. So I'd always play kind of tournaments in Germany, which was a whole lot totally different experience playing on red clay and playing against different people from different nations and international tournaments. You know, it was just, um, it brought me, it brought me a a really good perspective on like team tennis and international tennis, which I think helped me on later on in my college career. But from age 14 to like 16, it was pretty stressful because those are like your peak years of you trying to get recruited to a good school and you trying to boost up your ranking, which is something that is very important. And that's where I drove myself the hardest. Your coaches would drive yourself the hardest. Your parents meaning in my case my dad, my mom really didn't really care. She was just like make sure I have fun. Don't get yelled at too much. Um Yeah, same here. Yeah, you know, you know the deal. Um so but from that point, yeah, it was a lot it was a lot of stress. Um and then it's honestly kind of a relief once you're like in that recruiting process and then once you're kind of done with it. So I always kind of wanted to go to Hofstra. Why is a good question. They didn't have the best program, but I really wanted to kind of like start my own sort of program and like build it up from the ground up, which I believe I did because now they're looking really good and I'm, I'm proud that maybe I might have helped in some way do that, you know, not just as a player, but also being a coach there for two years afterwards. Um, but once I was done with that, the Giannis Antetokounmpo route, if you will, building up the Milwaukee bucks from nothing. Damn right. Frank, damn right. You gotta, you gotta want it the hard way, right? What other, what other colleges did you consider or recruited you? What about that? I was looking mainly like the deal was basically if I had to, I had basically, if I went to a local school, I was still able to go to Germany in the summer um, but if I went away for school, which would have cost more money with room and board and all that, my folks would have made me work here in the summer, um, probably just teaching tennis all summer. And I really valued my summers in Europe, which is not something that everyone kind of gets. So I really valued that. Uh, and I wanted to keep that. So I was talking to, uh, obviously Hofstra was like on the top of my list. I was talking to Adelphi. Um, I had a scholarship offer from Adelphi that was pretty good um their their division two out in Long Island um I was talking to Old Dominion University a little bit that would have been tough to honestly make their lineup they're a very solid team I was talking to like Sacred Heart um I was I I, I got a couple emails from Carnegie Mellon problem was I wasn't as nerdy as Frank was so uh yeah my grades weren't quite up there as frank's but i mean it wasn't dumb but you know i just didn't really val- i was more of a athlete student than like frankie was like a student athlete that's for sure um we kind of played opposite roles there so but um i still had fun with pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards I, in my free time yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I, mean, I was yeah I was just thinking about tennis 24 7 which in hindsight um i I do and I don't regret uh, I wish I could have maybe put my time into something else kind of like more of a hobby based stuff with you know other things maybe learn other topics uh, about the world y- yeah, you know? it's, it's tough it's, to, it's tough it's, to really balance it, you know it
0: is and it's 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 funny that you said that because when I was you know obviously we write a script for what we're gonna say before this as I was writing my thoughts out about this there were so many different parts of this I was like man, do I regret that? And, and I just told myself, no, I don't. Because if this didn't happen, like I wouldn't be where I am today. Like all of these things that we're talking about that maybe in the, you know, looking back on it, we're like, oh, like, I totally regret that. Like for me, like, do I say to myself, like, oh, like, I totally regret not pushing myself and like really focusing on tennis between 12 and 15 years old. But at the same time, I'm like, no, I don't because then I wouldn't have focused on school I wouldn't have gotten into Townsend Harris I wouldn't have met all my friends at Townsend Harris. I wouldn't have like gotten into the college that I did and gotten the job that I have now and you know all these other domino effects stem from like these seemingly unimportant decisions but they all do matter. Um, and I think that that's that's something that, I, I reflected on a lot when I was writing this. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny how life kind of works like that because I was thinking to myself the other day, you know, if I had focused really on kind of like my academics and other, you know, things in high school, like maybe, you know, partying, more of like a social life where would I be? I don't know if I would have been as good as a tennis player, you know, um, and then where, what kind of school would I have gone to? What kind of social life would I've had and now? Cause right now I've, i I, you know, like most of my friends that I've met in my life are from Hofstra, you know, my girlfriends from Hofstra, some of my best friends in the world are from Hofstra tennis. And, you know, that, that's something that I really value. And I kind of like, don't regret going through, you know, driving out to tournaments every weekend when I was like 14, 16, 18. Um, you know, and, and it makes a, it makes a difference now because now I feel like now after you graduate college, you kind of have the opportunity to kind of like, you know, it's your own, your own your own person, especially if you work, you got a little bit more money and you can kind of do things that you want to do that you never thought you'd be able to do. Like for example, I never thought I'd be recording a podcast right now, but now I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I, Frank and I are really good friends. We both love tennis. Let's talk about tennis and you know maybe other people want to hear our thoughts and you know that's something I really valued but I would say that once the recruiting process was done it was a big relief and I tried not to get a case of senioritis which is what a lot of not only athletes uh, sorry I mean students get in, in high school with their averages athletes get those too because they kind of slack off before their freshman year and they come in kind of out of shape I really valued I actually played my best tennis high school uh, my best high school tennis my senior year I remember that yeah I played I made the semifinals of the state tournament. Um me and another kid who went to uh Towns and um with Frankie Ethan Natolo, you know, we grew up playing and we both kind of made the semis. I thought that was pretty cool experience for both of us. Um I won the city high school tournament for for New York City, which was a great experience and Marcus it- also hit an unbelievable tweener. That is somewhere
0: on Facebook to this day. I don't know where it is. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. It's amazing. I will link it in the description of this.
1: Boom. There we go. Yeah, no, um, just just for context on that one, you when you watch that video, if you do, I hit that ridiculous tweener and then I shanked the next two shots to lose the match. As one does that's yeah that's, that's like right on par for me so yeah that's like my life so um yeah but um, uh, but yeah now once i when I was done with that like it, it was it was really it was just relief and then you know, i was like you know what okay i can start like the next chapter in my life new people new tennis you know everything and I, re- I really made the best out of it i had a great time at hofstra again senior year at hofstra i play my best tennis i kind of grew into my game and, and who i was as a person and uh, you know i loved it
0: yeah i would say two things uh so one To sort of emphasize Marcus's point, Marcus and I played each other in high school um, frequently, as as has been noted. Um,
1: Doubles. Yeah.
0: Um, We played each other in doubles our freshman year, and then uh, we were just on opposing teams our uh, junior and senior year. But I think, you know, the first... The real memory that I have of tennis with with Marcus that that stands out to me from high school is our senior year. We played Marcus's high school, and Marcus was playing first singles against our friend Ethan Tolo that we mentioned, and that was probably the best match that I have seen live outside of like a professional setting um, ever. That which
1: one was it? Because we played, I think three times that year. I think I got him twice, and he beat me once. We played once. It was,
0: it was the one where Ethan beat you. It was was it one. where
1: it was like thirty seven degrees yeah, outside. It was 37 yeah,
0: thirty seven degree. I mean, that was just a grind fest. The balls weren't bouncing right because it was too cold for like the air to actually stay. in yeah, the Yeah, thirty seven Fahrenheit. People. Yeah, it, it was. It was incredible to watch because it, it was like they have this expression in uh, like motorsport and racing and Formula One where they basically say like. If it's raining out that is the great equalizer in terms of like conditions uh, you know and you're just you're just purely driving your your driving skills are the thing that is being tested and that match was one of those where it was just the elements just took over and it was just a pure i i thought it was just a pure mental battle at that point it wasn't even like a physical thing it wasn't a, a you know who's playing better on the day it was just who is mentally going to win this chess match of overcoming the elements?
1: Yeah, and this was played at Cardozo High School, which is extremely windy. So it's like, you know, we got 20 mile an hour winds. It's 37 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, you know, we're playing basically in like sweaters and stuff until we got heated up. But yeah, I remember that match. That was really tough because Ethan played some really keep clutch points. And whenever Ethan and I played against each other, it was like super competitive, even though we were like kind of like friends off the court and we trained together a lot. But once we got on the court, it was all business. And I, I actually really... Now, looking back on it, I really enjoyed that. I never really thought about it in the moment, but I really enjoyed playing him in those situations, especially high school, you know, because I knew we were going to play each other three times. You know, you play every school like three times, so I was always looking forward to playing him. And, um, yeah, that day he he played really well, and that was, you know, big kudos to him for winning that one for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, and it was there was also just an element of, of hype around those matches because I think when people thought about, like high school tennis players in the outer boroughs, Brooklyn and Queens combined. I think you two always came to mind as the two standout best players and and the fact that you guys went to two high schools where you got the opportunity to play each other three times a year at least was something that was really really special. Uh, yeah, and that, kind and, of that made... and that made everyone on each of those teams better because even for us um as the perennial under- underdogs in that matchup, it It drove us further like the goal for me when I was captain of of the team was Beat Cardozo that was that was always the goal because you guys were the standard for everybody else in in the division in Queens, you know, it was you and beacon and So for us to actually be able to beat you my senior year That was like the culmination of everything that I had wanted in high school.
1: Yeah, for sure and the great thing about like, when, when Ethan was uh, was playing number one and I was playing number one, is that, honestly, it was always a toss-up. Mm-hmm. We were both very, very even at the time. And, um, you know, if, if Ethan were to manage to, like, actually win, which he did, then it gave Townsend a real, real shot at at beating Cardozo, which was kind of put me in a weird position because it put a lot of pressure on me because i like, damn, you know, I, usually I go out and win these high school matches honestly easy against these guys, but Ethan was always an extremely tough opponent, you know, um, and, and that was a lot of pressure there.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um... All right, so I think I, I got to get into my stuff a little bit, which is much less entertaining, to be honest.
1: No, um, I, listen, fr- Frank Frank took it just because it's it's different doesn't mean it's not interesting, for sure. I'm serious. Um, every tennis player has their own kind of history and why why things happened and why didn't happen. So, you know, like, what, what kind of happened when, you know, you started playing tournaments in 11, and then what kind of, like, what happened after that, you know, once you started getting into high school?
0: So I started playing tournaments. I liked it. I did okay. I actually was winning a few matches here and there. Um, You know, I I, I started training more seriously for it. I actually bothered to care about my fitness. I had a very, (laughs) this is a separate topic, but I had a really big growth spurt, like when I was 13 years old. Really? I don't know if you remember this. I was like five foot one, maybe, my like when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I grew like eight or nine inches in one summer. And I got to like, five nine just a little which is a little bit shorter than i am now but
1: when you were th- really
0: yeah yeah i grew like massively and then like that right was just summer. you just kind of like anything? oh cool like i can actually like really serve now <laughs> <And> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the summer of frankie bombs down the tee
0: <laughs> um and which is listen marcus can attest like for my height my serve is actually really really pretty heavy um yeah he's got some wicked slice when that's, he wants to that's all from baseball to, to be honest that which which i think goes into like this topic that we're going to discuss later of like cross sport training I, I think can be very very, very effective very absolutely um but yeah so so i play these tournaments and then when i was uh, 14 years old unfortunately my father was diagnosed with cancer and and you know sort of everything in my life got put on hold because of that and uh, you know i just stopped playing tennis really uh because without him it, it just didn't feel right like like what's the point of playing this game if the person that was sort of my coach my hitting partner everything was just not there uh it, it would just feel weird like what what would you have done if like you didn't have todd screaming from a tree across the street
1: marcus that ball was in i would i would actually really miss it and I, I I cannot imagine what that must have been like for you at that point because I I couldn't even fathom it you know as, as, a, as, a stand, as a person who's standing by
0: yeah so so for me you know at 14 I stopped doing that it just didn't make sense and uh, you know my dad unfortunately passed away when I was 16 and, and you know at that point I was like you know I didn't want to play anymore uh, my sophomore year of high school I didn't really play on the team it just wasn't really in the cards for me my junior year which was this was probably like six or seven months after my dad had passed i kind of forced myself to play um because of of my teammates quite honestly like i i had set this mission out when i first got to townsend along with ethan um of you know let's knock cardozo off their their perch like let's win this division like we've got two good players and me and ethan like let's do damage um and you know so so for me that was that was the motivation and and it was more to be a leader rather than to play um you know i did play first doubles because the only way that i was going to play is if i played doubles i didn't want to play singles at all yeah and so you know eventually we got that goal my senior year we kicked ass and, and i'm super proud of that to this day and and i love all my teammates from then and uh, but but yeah, I mean, I I became one of those players that didn't play tennis outside of tennis season in high school. Like I only played that three month window of the year in the winter. Like I didn't care, I didn't want to play. Uh, just the thought of tennis was was by. It, and I say this all the time, um, you know, on a personal level. For me, after my dad passed, I was able to do pretty much everything, you know, and not be sad or be upset. The thing that like emotionally just crushed me was was tennis was like picking up a tennis racket and and like that was sort of that like direct link so for me that was the the non-starter so for me every time I played tennis I touched a racket anything it was it was an emotional battle like it was it was just so incredibly emotional uh, for
1: me. Yeah, I remember when, when Frank's father passed away, and, you know, it was, I just felt so bad for him because I know that how much he, he meant to him, and not only just to, obviously on a personal level, you know, it's his father, obviously, but just also on the tennis level. And I know that how much Frank loved playing tennis and how much his dad was, you know, I would see Frank at, We played at a short time at the same club um, in in Bayside, New York. This is a club called Go Tennis. Now it's no longer there. Um, They're building apartment complexes there. But you know, I would see Frank there with his dad all the time, and I'm like, "Hey, that's Frank." You know, I remember him from kindergarten or you know soccer or this and that. You know, so we'd always see each other, and yeah, no, it was just really sad to hear that. But honestly, I'm really glad that Frank kind of quote unquote. Sucked it up, sort of. I mean, is that a, like a kind of yeah, a way no, you that's what it, it was? It was, sucking yeah, it up. you know, that kind of
0: that's the only way to describe
1: it. Yeah, he kind of like sucked it up, got himself back in the game because he knew that he, you know, his dad would want him to continue for sure. Um, and and he did great things. You know, he was part of a team that ended up beating Cardozo. Um, albeit we were a little bit weaker my senior year as a team. But, you know, there's nothing we could have done about that. Um, you know, I, I, can only, I could only play one position. You know, Ethan, Ethan also could only play one position. Yeah, so it yeah, comes down to it's, it's a team sport at that point. Is. And that's another great podcast that we're going to be doing later on. Um, it's about how important team sports is. In, in, yeah, and, in and team
0: sports and tennis in general. And then, like, this goes to the professional level of... of how we can make it better and, and more enjoyable. And, you know, tennis has these sort of platforms already, these systems in place of team tennis. And now it's just about like making them better and more entertaining and, and useful. But um, that's, that's going to be a topic for, for, uh, for another day. Um, so now let's get into a little bit of, I mean, you kind of touched on burnout a little bit. But sort of. Why don't you just go into like, was there ever a moment where you got like super burned out from all these tournaments you were playing, or did you were you just more of that like, I'm digging in and I'm, I I I have my goal and I know what I need to achieve it.
1: I was a very short term burnout guy. Um, so if I had like a really bad couple of strings of tournaments or matches, um, I would maybe just say you know uh, whatever, I need to just get my mind off tennis. You know what I mean? To go hang out with my friends, do some other stuff, maybe just do some other sort of exercise, play basketball, whatever it was, just kind of get my mind off of tennis. But in the back of my mind, it was always like, all right, Marcus, come on, you know, use this as motivation. Use this as fuel to like get better. Um, and I would say that that really pushed me to keep getting better. And, and the reason why I didn't have burnout was because I played other sports growing up. And that was really important because you got yourself socialized with other kids with other people, with other sports, you know, wasn't always about one thing and one thing only. You know, if, I, I'm a firm believer and I've seen it happen to many kids from, you know, who I was growing up playing tennis with. Um, and, I, and I've seen it a lot in kids who end up going to college and you kind of just like tap out because they're so burnt out. Because they've been playing this hardcore, like really competitive tennis since they were 10 years old. And when you're and you're and they're actually starting it sooner now. Yeah. And they're, yeah, it's
0: actually it's actually starting sooner. There are some people who have been playing competitive tennis since they were like seven years old. Which and is it's insane to it, me.
1: It's pretty sick, honestly, because a kid, you know, you're still a kid. You know, what I mean, you're going through puberty. You're trying to figure out where where you are in this world and where you are in school and who you are. And all of a sudden, you know, you got you like your parents really just kind of bearing down on you, like you know, oh, you got to win this match. Oh, you should have won this match. You should have this. You should have that. You know, you're not gonna. I mean, I saw, dude, I saw some really sick stuff. I remember it was playing a match. Um, it was a middle school match, middle school mayor's cup. Okay. That, yeah, that's a throwback. Middle school mayor's cup, and I'm not going to name any names, but we were playing against another school. And um, my dad speaks some Russian, and he overheard. And now, keep in mind, my dad was a little bit harsh, but not like by any means abusive or whatever. Like no, he was just never he,
0: towards the other, opo- uh, towards or the other opponent no, no, or no, me. No, no, or me.
1: He no. really just wanted no. purely the best for me. Um, sometimes his intentions would come across as a bit aggressive, but you know everyone that, who yeah, hasn't but, experienced that. Yeah, but, you know, what but I, mean? I would
0: I would say that your dad, you know, his his main his main thing was he knew what your potential was, and when he saw you potentially not performing to that, you know, that's what would make him upset. If the other opponent hit like a winner down the line, your dad's not gonna freak for sure. Out that yeah, way. he's clapping he, his you know, hands. He, he was yeah, like. Yeah you know a perfectly normal tennis parent just to give perspective
1: Uh, yeah exactly um so we were playing this match and on the court on the other on the other court um the the father of this girl who was playing was speaking in russian and then the translation that my father told me afterwards was basically saying like you know you better win this match otherwise i'm going to lock you in the closet at home and not give you any food and that's You know, that's some gulag stuff. You know what I mean? That's what
0: we call a healthy relationship with the game. uh, Yeah, correct.
1: Yeah. So that's, um, and my father actually said something to the guy like, listen, she's just a kid. Like, this is just a, this is just a game. Like, I understand, but like, this is going a little bit crazy and this is a little bit too much. Um, So kids like that would experience burnout because they were accustomed to this kind of psychological pressure from when they were like 12 years old, basically now, this is an extreme case that I just used, but in general, just kind of psychological pressure. So when, by the time they're 18 and they can kind of make their own decisions, they're like, oh, well, great. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to be succumbed to the psychological pressure anymore. Why do I have to do this anymore? You know, like, am I, am I right? I mean, yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. I think, I think that when you have kids that are focused on, you know, this, this one sport for so much of their life, Inevitably, you're going to get burnt out. It doesn't matter what type of person you are, you will get burnt out of it. And I think that's why you've seen so many of these top players, these truly top players, like, you know, let's call it, you know, Novak Djokovic, for example, is one that comes to mind. He was a really good competitive skier for most of his life, similar to Yannick Sinner. Mm-hmm. Same, yeah, Sinner, same. Sinner is actually a, an even better yeah. example. To be honest, I mean, Yannick
1: Sinner could easily be a professional skier. Right now.
0: Yeah, Yannick Sinner was a, like a world class, literally world class skier for most of his life. Tennis was like a once a week thing yeah. that he enjoyed, and then he decided, "No, I really like tennis. I want to pursue this." And that's when that jump was was made. Yeah,
1: and it came to, it came out of just pure enjoyment
0: yeah and, and that's why i think a guy like him plays the sport the way that he does I, I think that's why he's so focused on court that's why he's so determined to get better and you've seen this growth from him over the past you know year or two on tour is because it's what he genuinely wants like the guy just loves the sport it's what he chose to do and he wants to be the best at it and and i think that's Unfortunately, what is missing from American tennis, I think American tennis, you know, this is again, another podcast topic, but I think a big problem with the American tennis system is that we make these kids sort of choose to focus on tennis too early on and get obsessed with rankings. And, you know, uh, you know, if you're not this level by this age, you know, you've got no chance of doing X, Y, Z, and that just doesn't, work like, that's just yeah, such a absolute, bad system very
1: very bad system and a lot of players on tour if you actually check out their junior um not necessarily like the top players i mean so a couple of them had pretty good junior records but if you look at some of the junior itf some of them didn't even play any they just went straight to futures when they were like, like you know like 18 yannick 19 Center. yeah yannick Sinner, exactly. perfect
0: example he is a nobody on the junior tour he didn't really play them he hated them and he's too
1: busy skiing and speaking whatever languages he speaks uh,
0: yeah i mean listen like there there are two paths in terms of, of players there's there's the center path which is you know you kind of like go to the pros early on and you develop your game that way and then there's the you know lorenzo musetti path which is this guy was the number one ranked junior in the world won the the australian open juniors like and now he's just kind of really nicely made the transition onto the tour And he's killing it on tour. But like, I will say that based on what I've seen so far, the Musettis are far less common than the Sinners. Because our other player that I think we both agree is the best young up-and-coming talent is Carlos Alcaraz. And you know what Carlos Alcaraz is? Didn't play juniors. Just focused on ITFs and challengers and satellites and these playing professional matches and just learning how to win. Learning how to win against professional tennis players, not against other juniors, where uh, you know you're better than this guy. So what's y- the point?
1: Yeah, and you know what's funny? I was just—I also have another book over there. If you see that, the Rafael Nadal uh, biography. Um, very interesting about Rafa was that he played soccer until he was about ten or eleven or twelve. Competitively, fantastic soccer player. Fantastic soccer player. Probably also could have been pro. Potentially, his,
0: fa- his father was a pro. His father played, I believe, for Barcelona. His uncle, uncle played for Barcelona. Correct. So, his uncle yeah. played for
1: Barcelona, and it could have absolutely been a pro. But then Nadal, same thing, played soccer and kind of learned that competitive team environment thing going on until he was a certain age. And that's also why he didn't get burnout. So another beautiful thing about why you know my dad had me play all these sports is that when I do, when I did take breaks from tennis here and there, or kind of like after college. Um, I still played a lot, actually, but recently, maybe in the last year, I kind of, like, took a little bit more time off from tennis. I was focusing on other things in my life and just trying to, like, really figure out, you know, what else I could really do just besides swinging a tennis racket. But then I realized after taking all that time off a little bit, I was like, you know what? I really miss playing tennis and not even just playing, just also playing competitively, which is such a nice thing to know because it means that my dad and and myself kind of have like the healthy attitude about it because it, I always gravitate towards it instead of, ah, oh, you know what? I played four years of college. I'm going to drop my racket and never play again. I know a lot of people who do that and they like never I think that's play. A majority. I think
0: that's a majority yeah. of people.
1: Not, not only, you know, drop the racket, they also just get out of shape mm-hmm. and which is a, you know, that's a whole different discussion, but you know, that's also not really a great thing for them to happen, but you know the burnout. So that's why I didn't really experience burnout. You know, Frank, I don't know how it was for you. With obviously you had that little kind of. I wouldn't see. I wouldn't consider your where you where you took a break because your dad. That's not really burnout because that was more. I, I think it's a yeah. different
0: kind of burnout. I think that was an emotional really? burnout. Okay. I don't. I don't think it was a tennis. Well, I mean, it, it was tennis related, but but you know. Yeah, but not like directly I, I, related no, to your no, performance no, 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 or you know. Oh,
1: I'm trying to get. Scholarship? Ah, screw it. This is
0: too much yeah. pressure. Yeah. No, exactly. It was. It was never that. And and you know, I think for me, you know, after I graduated high school in college, you know, I, I had, you know, my my goals of what I wanted to do professionally, and and that sort of required some sacrifice from me. You know, not only socially in terms of not really getting to party and all that stuff in college, but in terms of you know my time and and tennis just kind of was like i'm not going to be a professional tennis player i don't really want to teach tennis like it's yeah, just kind good, of one of those on one, yeah right, like yeah. it's it's kind of just one of those like all right like it's a fun thing and that's it and you know so i just played whenever you know i had a buddy or two that would ask to play i'd be like yeah sure i'll get my sticks out and you know i'll, I'll hit with See you. what happens sure yeah. yeah like i don't you know not trying to go out there and, and win a set or play club or anything like that it just wasn't wasn't in the cards for me um, you know, I graduated, you know, I got my, my, the job that I had wanted and, and everything. And, you know, that's, I think where my tennis story gets much more interesting is that sort of after I graduated, I sort of had the opposite reaction of what you just described with people that played in college, whatever, where they're just like, I'm never touching this stupid racket again. Like, and you know, they get out of shape, whatever. For me, it was, you know, I sit, and i stare at a computer for x number of hours a day like i need to go like do something and yeah. and you know
1: keep your mental sanity exactly
0: like i always like i liked the gym and i liked lifting and all that stuff but i was just like i can only do this not for very so long. stimulating is it i mean i yeah, love the gym too uh, but it's just not stimulating no, for the it's brain not really. stimulating especially if you're not going with someone like in college it was good because i went with like my roommates and we all went together yeah, it, was like a, it, was a, it was a, it was a social activity yeah, yeah you know um Whereas now it would just be like 8 p.m. I'm driving in the dark in the cold to the gym by myself to go, like, you know, lift.
1: This sucks. Yeah,
0: like, it's just not fun. For some people it's fun, but for me it wasn't. And I was just like, you know what, like, why don't I try tennis? Like, I, I, you know... Why don't I try this again? Like, I'm in such a better mental state than I was like seven years ago. Like, let me just do this. Yeah. You like, know, you've not? matured. I mean, yeah. it, like, a- I'm not trying to go win tournaments out here. I'm trying to just like for enjoy now. myself and like get myself in shape. Like, you know, and for now. Yeah. You, you, definitely, <laughs> and, you
1: definitely want to rack up those prize money tournaments. I see you, son.
0: And uh, so, you know, I still have my tennis friends, obviously. Like, I have friends with Marcus and friends with Braddock and, and, Uh, other people that we'll have on the show, like I said, hopefully. And, and, you know, it just—I started hitting again with them. And, and, you know, they were kind enough, even though I was not nearly as good as they were, to sort of be patient with me until my game got back up to shape. And I really just started to love the game again. You know, there's, like, this point, this, like, inflection point where, you know, you realize— that there's, like, this pressure lifted off of you. I don't know if you can really relate to this as much, but, like, now that I'm playing as just an adult and it's just I don't have to worry about anything or some specific goal, like, it's just I want to get better for me, there's this mentality change that happened for me, and it was just this massive pressure that was lifted off of my shoulders. Oh,
1: for sure. When there's no external kind of, like, environment there, I mean, when I graduate, I mean, when, you know, when you're when you playing Division one college, You got a lot of people counting on you, you know what I mean? You got yourself, obviously you want to win. And then you got your teammates, your coach, you know, your, your peers. You don't want to go home and really say like, you know, when other people ask you, Hey, how'd you do today? Oh, I lost, you know, kind of a crappy thing to say, you know what I mean? It doesn't really feel that great. Um, Yeah. But once I graduated too, same thing, like I I know exactly how you feel. You kind of like, all right, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it for myself. And if I don't want to do it, I don't have to do it. But I love it so much that I want to do it. And guess what? If I lose, it's not the end of the world. You know, I obviously I want to win. and I'm going to give it my all. But if I lose, it's like I right, you know I'll go home and whatever. I still got a great life. You know, and I think that's really how people should view kind of like sports in general, not as like a life and death thing. I mean, you've heard it from Boris Becker, Djokovic, kind of like you know, listen, this is this is life. You can't win at all. I mean, you saw Djokovic after he won. Uh, sorry, after he lost to Medvedev. I mean, he was almost like kind of relieved that he lost. It was kind he of weird, relieved. right? He I mean, happy it that weird. it was
0: just over. And and Djokovic in that final match, that was the most relatable I've ever felt to Djokovic before. Absolutely, because I've, every emotion that he was going through, the second that he walked on the court, I knew he was going to lose because I, I recognized that body language right away.
1: Yeah, and he already looked shaky in that semis against Zverev. I didn't.
0: Yeah, he didn't. He should not have won. I don't like to say he didn't deserve to win a match, but like he should not have won that match. Zverev should have closed the door on him. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think what is so interesting is that that was that moment where Djokovic actually looked human. And and what, I, what I, I saw from him that day was somebody who just looked like they had the weight of the world, the weight of history on their shoulders. And you saw the tightness in every single stroke that this guy took that I've never seen from him before. Yeah, no,
1: he was incredibly tight. It was similar kind of to like the Olympics semi-final when he was playing Svarov. He was up 6-3, was it, 6-3, 3-1, 3-0, something like that, and he ended up losing. I think it was just too much pressure for him to just – even even Novak Djokovic, the greatest tennis player ever, yeah. Statistically. I'd, yeah. So
0: this is definitely another podcast topic, but the, For yes. sure,
1: okay, maybe I shouldn't use the word greatest. I should maybe word the word best probably, right? Yeah.
0: I, I just think statistically, I think it, statistically it is inarguable he is the greatest tennis yeah, player. Yeah, just of purely all objective on based on on based we'll on performance. We'll have a debate about this later because I truthfully do not, you know, I he, have my he own just, opinions. Yeah, you just not like want to admit it. Whatever. <laughs> statistically, undoubtedly, yeah. he is the greatest tennis player of all time.
1: Yeah, but he looks like he was just so ready for that thing to be done, and I really I kind of understood him, you know, and I was like, you know what, it made me feel. It's kind of weird because you don't really want to like f- feel good about other people's miseries, but you're like, you know what? I get it. Like, he's human. He really is human at the end of the day because we all thought he was not human when he's just winning slams right, left, three in a row. We're like, oh my god, he's gonna get four. Is he gonna do what Laver did? You yeah. Know?
0: Not only that, I think throughout that tournament, you saw him just sort of have these going a set down and then just building himself back up and winning the match. And there was only. So many times a, a human being can do that breaking point like that. Like just going to the brink and coming back. And, and you you did, you felt the sense of relief for him. Like, thank God this is over. And also at the same time, I think there was a moment of everybody can now appreciate how hard what this guy just accomplished yeah, what of he w- winning. I mean, of what did he win? 27 Grand Slam matches in a year. I mean, that let's... is ridiculous. Re- Ridiculous.
1: I mean, just the emotional level that it took for him to win the French Open was absurd. I mean, you beat Nadal in, like, by the way, the might have been the best set of tennis that I've ever seen. Best set of tennis I've ever seen. And, Not even close. And then you beat Tsitsipas after being down two sets to love like that. I mean, that already took so much out of you. So, you know, I mean... It, it was crazy, um, and, and that's why I'm glad I don't really experience burnout and never have, like, on a long-term level, um, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and, you know, hey, Frank, while we're on the topic of pros, that um, doesn't actually necessarily have to be a pro. Who were your tennis heroes and, and inspirations kind of growing up and maybe to this day?
0: So I think number one for both of us is our dads, right? I mean, that's... Absolutely. Yeah. So and we've kind of already explained that, so I'm not going to give more detail. But uh, for me, when I was younger, there was two people. Number one was Roger Federer, obviously. Wow, he, he that's, a real, that's a really good choice. Really no, original, really I know. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's a really good no, choice. No, but though. I mean, listen, come on. It, it, Roger, when we were 10 years old, was at his absolute peak, was just nobody had ever seen anyone that was the best offensive player in the world and the best defensive player yeah, absolute in the world at the same just crazy
1: time. <laughs> absolutely all court player and he just died. i mean if it wasn't for Nadal this guy would be racking up French Opens every year.
0: Yeah, uh, that's like that's like another one of the great like tennis like myths is what that if? like Roger is not like a good clay court player or something like that. Like Roger Federer arguably in my opinion may be the second or third greatest clay court player of all time. He just ran into the greatest player of all time yeah on the he, dirt. yeah like, that's a whole
1: different you topic. know yeah, but for sure.
0: uh you know roger roger obviously was was everything i mean he's the king um and for me second was was marcos bagdatis um which is much more original and much more interesting and, and the reason for that is my mother was born in cyprus in the same town as marcos bagdadis in Limassol, and and So, for me growing up, to see somebody from our island of, you know, like, a million people getting to the Australian Open final was just absolutely bonkers. Like, the fact that this guy um, is representing Cyprus and getting to the final of the Australian Open and being a perennial, like, top 20 player in the world was insane to me. So... Marcos was definitely up there. I, I followed him throughout his entire career. I loved him. Um, super cool dude as well. So yeah, love
1: him. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I just came to mind that if we ever get my friend Maurice on the podcast, he has a great Marcos Baghdatis story to share.
0: I don't. I don't know if our podcast is rated enough for that, but yeah, uh, we can. We can get an explicit
1: <laughs> content warning uh, set up yeah. on, on Anchor. For no. Sure.
0: No comment. Uh, yeah, no. Deal, <laughs> so but. who are your? Who are your? Uh,
1: Um, didn't exactly have like a really, idol. so I, I liked Andy Roddick growing up as a kid, whatever, you know, American kid, big serve, you know, good forehand, uh, you know, wore the cap backwards, the whole shebang, you know, I used to do the same thing and try to be like him. Uh, But as I got older, I kind of got like sick of a shtick a little bit. I don't know why. Um, It's because
0: we were ball people and we knew the the, the gross secrets that went on.
1: Correct. Yeah. You start (laughs) to like actually fat. you know, like hear things and you're like, ah, okay. I mean, listen, still a great player. Also, again, probably, I mean, he wins at least two or three Wimbledons without Federer. That's a whole other what-if conversation that we're going to have, but for sure. Um, And then I would say, I kind of, I obviously, you know, I got the, Now I'm half German, so I always love the German players. Um, I love myself some Philipp Kohlschreiber, even though he wasn't, like, one of the greatest matches that I've seen and that I was really happy that I watched was Philipp Kohlschreiber against, and actually against Roddick, 2008 australian open you remember that i match? remember that match that yes. is a sick yes. match Eight, six and the fifth. also
0: low-key one of the best backhands in history and no one ever really talks about it no
1: it gets overshadowed by like gas gave and yeah. those boys obviously because they had they had better overall careers yes. but if you took like the backhand itself man that thing is a thing yeah. of beauty
0: yeah that's no, it's a be- he's got a beautiful stroke on it um so you know I think those are the people that we idolized like as we were kids that were currently playing were there any like historical players that you sort of got the chance to see on like YouTube stuff like that that you were just like wow like I love like this guy's electric
1: I mean obviously I mean McEnroe kind of played a big role obviously through Douglas and tennis and stuff Um but now that I've recently been I was recently watching like the Wimbledon the 1980 Wimbledon final on YouTube um, and I was like you know what I really love Bjorn Borg <laughs> That guy is just ice cold, man. And that is like the coolest thing ever. You see McEnroe just flipping out. And I, by the way, look, McEnroe's game, his game, ridiculously ridiculous. good. Like, ridiculously ridiculous. Like ridiculously good. If you're
0: building a perfect tennis player, which we will do, that is a podcast topic that we're going to do, McEnroe is the volley. Volley. Volley and sure. Most of You, you
1: know. just watch that match and you just see some outrageous volleys. But just Bjorn Borg just has this ability just to be like the Coolest guy on earth. I wanted to say something else, but I'm not gonna say it because we don't have an explicit content thing yet. But he's just so cool. He'll lose. He'll miss like an easy overhead, and he'll just be like, eh, whatever. Yeah, whatever next point. Yeah. Or he'll hit like some ridiculous running down line forehand winner. Eh, okay, whatever. You know, he's like, um, you know. I can go out to any club anywhere right now and get as many girls as I want. Yeah, like that. He's he's just care. He's like, I'm
0: gonna go back to my penthouse in Monaco. See you later. Yeah, he's just Um, the
1: coolest dude. And I was just watching that, and I was like, you know what? I I really want to be that guy. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: So for me, I think in the grand scheme of tennis, Roger obviously is still there, and, and and you know, fair enough. For me, it was another sort of Greek American tennis player. In this case, Pete Sampras. Um, was also right there I, I Also mean, very cool headed by the way Very cool headed I really like I love Pete Sampras just watch I think just from like an aesthetic of Who would I want to watch play tennis Pete Sampras is number one for me I mean the slam dunk has to be The coolest shot in tennis history For me
1: and he was like the first one To like pioneer that yeah, yeah.
0: I mean Pete Pete slam dunk Pete serve I mean all of it It was just electric for me to watch um, So for me Pete Pete's definitely up there and and similar to Marcus stole my answer it's Bjorn Borg I think Bjorn Borg is probably my number one tennis idol hero whatever I think there's just so many parts of his story especially about his relationship to tennis itself that I can relate to in terms of putting pressure on yourself and the mental side of it uh, i really encourage everyone to like read up on Bjork's story it's incredible um it really
1: is incredible and funny enough i was just reading mac when i was a couple of weeks ago i was rereading mackinroe's biography and you know this was like man mackinroe was kind of he got kicked off the number one spot by lendl and he was kind of like trying to figure out how to get back there and whether or not he should continue and you know he met with bjorn whatever at some sort of event this is after bjorn retired and bjorn was like you know, John was like, you know, oh, do you think, Bjorn, do you think it's okay that I'm like, you know, I can still maybe win slams to be a top five player? And Bjorn said, John, it's all about being number one. If you ain't one, if you ain't first, you're last. You know, yeah, <laughs> Talladega I mean, Knights no, type it, thing, it, though, seriously. It was.
0: And, and you know, I, there were so many parts of Borg's story that I found super interesting. And another thing is that he is known as the Iceman, right? Like Marcus was alluding to. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the Iceman. And if you actually read about his story, he was crazy as a kid. He was wildly oh, emotional. Oh, he was a nut job. Yeah. He was like worse than McEnroe was. He got thrown out of clubs. Nobody wanted to teach him because they said, this kid's over-emotional, he's angry, he's this and that. And his father just like sat him down and said, Bjorn, if you want to play this game, everything needs to be locked up. You cannot show weakness to your opponents. And that was that moment when he sort of fixed his game and, and really took this big transitional step. And, and that's something I can really relate to because as a kid, I was wildly emotional on the tennis court. I was like,
1: I mean, honestly, what kid isn't at that yeah, age? Yeah. You know I mean? Like
0: I was super emotional. I like thought every point was like the end of the world. And like, if I missed an overhead, like I might as well. My just, dad's like, gonna kill me. Yeah. Like literally the, the sky is falling and you know, it, it's funny. Like I, I, I had this break obviously where I didn't play tennis. So it didn't really matter. But like nowadays, you know, as I play, I feel like my mental strength is my biggest, biggest attribute because I kind of just have this attitude like Bjorn. I'm just like, all right, well, you know, next yeah, point. Yeah. And like, yeah, you know, this like, isn't you... the end of the world yeah, for done. me. Like I've you got, know, I've got, I've got other things that I want to do. I'm going to go like, you know, go back to my house and watch squid games or something like, Ooh. you know, I've got, like you have a life and, and it's, it's it's something that i think is 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 just really relatable about borg and 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 his relationship to the game also with like he almost needed his friends and his rivals to sort of get him to love the game again and that was sort of very relatable to me Uh, but
1: honestly he didn't really after he you've read about like what what happened in 1981 at the us open where he he lost to McEnroe and he just yeah. Dipped. Yeah, he just dipped. He just. It's didn't unbelievable.
0: Care. I'm talking. About, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like twenty, thirty. Like I'm talking about like the when he tried to sell his, his um his major trophies and all that stuff. Uh, he just went through that like hatred of the game. Yeah. It almost took Mac reaching out to him and and his other friends from that era reaching out to him to say like Bjorn like this isn't it, and that was something that I you know hmm. obviously it wasn't at that extreme level for myself but. You know, I needed my friends to m- make me realize how much I loved the game, and that was something that Borg I think also sort of went through.
1: Yeah, that's something that, and that, that's what's great about the tennis community, especially if you have good people around you, is that you kind of like share your experiences and kind of like you can relate to what you're going through. You know, if I'm having a bad tennis say or whatever, Frank's like, look, dude, you know, I've, I've played crappy before too. I know exactly what you're feeling. And same thing, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing with Frank and Frank can't hit a backhand for his life or something, I'm like, look, dude, I've had the same thing on my forehand side. For example, I just can't make a ball. I'm literally just trying to like push it in. And, you know, that's what, that, that, that's what, you know, like, it, it's kind of weird. It's like your your own friends and your own peers kind of end up becoming your own inspiration in a way. And it's pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that somebody like Borg is like the perfect Encapsulation of that as a tennis player. Um, all right. Well, I think we're hitting around the hour mark, which is where we like to cap these things off. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, Marcus, you have any last thoughts?
1: No. Um, you know, thanks, guys, for whoever's listening out there. We're gonna be. Um, you know, we've actually kind of set a regular schedule now. Frank and I have agreed we're gonna be. Releasing an episode every Friday, and we've got some really interesting topics coming up. Um, we've obviously got the World Tour Finals right around the corner in about three weeks. We've got Davis Cup, which is going to be a huge discussion because of the format, uh, players that are playing and not playing, and also the teams that are involved. Uh, and then during the offseason, we've got some pretty interesting podcasts coming up. So we're really excited for uh, what's to come.
0: Yeah, and I think... Uh, that the plan maybe would be you know have some shorter like 10 to 15 minute like news updates should anything big happen at the World Tour Finals we can just throw those together for you um, as more of like a current news sort of thing rather than these longer format discussions yeah. Um, but yeah I, I think we got a lot of interesting topics and uh, thanks again for listening guys uh, as always if you have any topic suggestions any ideas uh, hit us up on instagram breakpoint podcast 7 dm us we'd love to hear your thoughts any topic ideas let us know and uh, that's all thanks for listening everyone
1: all right signing off see you guys